0: Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I've got a really fun one for you today. Uh, We had a chance a couple months ago to kind of delve into the supplier world, and we get to do that again today. I have the co-founders of Rake's Beef Company in Ashland, Nebraska. The farm has been in operation since about 1900, but it was in 2017 that they started selling the beef commercially to customers, and the two people that we have to thank for that are Justin and Lindsey Rakes, my guests today. Guys, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, Thanks for having us on.
0: Yeah, thanks, Dan. Really appreciate it. Of course. It's, it's truly my pleasure. Now, I want to start off by kind of introducing Rakes to the audience and letting people know what's special about it. Obviously, Nebraska is the beef state. <laughs> there are a lot of options when it comes mm. to beef and steak and, and ground beef and burgers and everything in Nebraska. What, in your mind, is it that separates rakes from all those other options?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we are um, very much focused on a continuous quality evolution. So we are a w- American Wagyu producer, uh, which means we are crossing an Angus genetic background with uh, a Wagyu, uh, you know, Japanese Wagyu genetics. And then, you know, we're, we're putting our own spin on it in terms of our... Management and our feed program and things like that, uh, and really just trying to get the highest quality that we possibly can.
0: So, I actually I, I want to kind of put a definition on what's different between American Wagyu and Japanese Wagyu because I feel like this is something that's commonly uh, kind of mixed up between people. People will just see Wagyu on a menu and they have an expectation and they're not sure. What it is. So, actually, Lindsay, I found a quote from you uh, in an article from a couple of years ago. You said we're different than anything you find in the grocery store, and we're not trying to compete with super premium full blooded Wagyu, which is where ja- or which is where Kobe beef comes from. Excuse me. So, can you guys kind of give a little bit more of a definition and tell me like what's the difference between that Japanese Wagyu and the American Wagyu? You know, beyond what you just explained, Justin.
1: Yeah. So we'll start with um, Kobe beef. Uh, you'll see that term thrown around here in the US. Really, for anything to be true Kobe beef, it comes it has to come from that region of Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh the genetics in Kobe beef, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Justin, are wagyu genetics, but it's it's kind of like a wine AVA, champagne, that sort of thing. It needs to come from that area. Um, then you have full-blooded Wagyu, where, yes, those Japanese genetics have been brought over to the United States. And, then, you know, so it's full blood. It's a Wagyu bull with a Wagyu cow. Then you have American Wagyu uh, beef, which is really how you're here at Marketed. We used to call it a, a Wagyu Angus cross, but to streamline it, we, just, we call it American Wagyu. Um, and what that is, is what we are doing, we are taking um, a Wagyu bull and crossing that with a Angus cow. Uh, you can find other people use other genetics, but we use Angus because that's mainly what our herd was. Um, and we really like the the genetics of Angus. So when you marry those two together, you're getting the best characteristics out of both. But that's, I think, the easiest way to kind of break down those three categories um that you can find it uh, it's just there's different variations of it
0: when you say you're getting the best characteristics characteristics of both what are those characteristics
1: yeah so out of the wagyu you're getting you know when you tried that burger that buttery flavor um the marbling, it's, yeah. yeah the the marbling they just naturally are they just naturally have more of that marbling they have a higher percentage of omega-6 um omega-6 fatty acids omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids um,
2: I always get them confused, but yeah, they they, yeah. <laughs> they, it, it, they they tend to have a beneficial fatty acid profile.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, but the the meat is really rich. So if you've ever had a full blood Wagyu steak, it's really good. Don't get me wrong, but it's not something that you're gonna probably want to eat every day, or you're gonna want to eat a large quantity of it because it's so rich. So you cross that with Angus, which is a nice everyday beef. It's been around for quite a while it's going to, I guess, it's going to mellow that out. So it's not going to be so... No, not quite as intense, yeah. In t- intense yeah. of a flavor, yeah. where American Wagyu can be your everyday beef if you choose for it to be. Um, I'll also say with, you know, the A5 Wagyu that gets imported from Japan, that's why you see it served in such small pieces. Um, it's not meant to be eaten in larger portions. I mean, you definitely can if you want to, but you might have a stomachache.
0: Yeah, that, that <laughs> might that might affect you after a little bit. And I, I totally agree with you. I love a good Wagyu steak or a good Wagyu burger. But yeah, if you were doing that in large quantities or doing it day after day, it might get a little bit heavy after a while. So th- that's I really love that you kind of put that definition on it. That I know for me, that's hugely helpful. Um, okay, so now that we've kind of introduced rakes and and, and what it is, I'd like to get a little bit into the backstory. And I think this is a good spot to bring you in, Justin. You guys on your website do an excellent job of breaking down like the history and the heritage behind the farm and, and how it turned into, you know, the commercial business today. Can you just give me like, the cliff notes to basically bring me from 1900 to where we are today. Not, not breaking down the entire history because sure. I don't want to take up all your time, but just yeah. kind of catch everybody up and let people know what rakes is.
2: Yeah, so um, we we've our family's been in Nebraska since actually about 1854, uh, probably were moonshiners on the run. Uh, we, we, we have bits and pieces of evidence to support that claim. Um, and then have been in the same spot since 1900. I think as you had, you had mentioned earlier, um, my great, great grandfather, um, settled in Saunders County on that spot and then, and then stayed put. So I'm fifth generation. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my father had gotten us kind of started pointing us back in the beef business. I think our farm story is very typical of a lot of, A lot of folks in the Midwest where you you had these evolutions from mixed farms, relatively large family sizes, doing lots of little enterprises to increasing specialization and and further and further and further down specialization. And so, you know, we we were uh, 10 years ago, I think, a very typical farm operation, Um, really not doing anything that special. We had, you know, beef finishing business and we had some some row crop. But, um, you know, there really wasn't anything uh, necessarily unique we were going after. And I think we just looked at that and said, um, you know, both actually at that time, Lindsay and I were both living in Seattle, uh, and, and got a little bit of exposure to the food scene there. I wasn't back at the farm yet, but I think in general, our, our family's always been interested in trying to, to go a different direction and to try to find, um, an an interesting approach. The, bi- the biggest one for us was the quality piece. Um, we felt like we, you know, lived in a beef state. And, and, and actually, most of us in the beef business grew up eating the, the crappy stuff, honestly. I mean, we would, you know, um, we, we, didn't, we couldn't necessarily speak about how great our, our own product was because what we were eating wasn't necessarily great itself. So, um, you know, around 2014, I think, is when we first got started making crosses and uh, um, really, really wanted to pursue something that would um give people a high quality eating experience. And we weren't even necessarily at that time thinking we were going to market it directly. You know, we thought, well, we'll, you know, we'll find somebody to work with on it and you know, we'll just produce the animals and and uh <clears throat> you know, and, and and that'll be the end of it. It's simpler that way. Uh but really weren't happy at all with what we were finding out there in terms of who's out there and who's able to tell the story. And so because we're doing everything within the state, um, you know, both you know all, all the way through cow calf to finishing processing everything else. Um, you know that's that's something that we're proud of and and uh, something that we think you know the the state should be known for and and, and doing it right and doing it well. So that's that's the that's the ultra quick version.
0: I like it. That was yeah. that was very well done. That was a yeah. perfect Cliff Notes version. Um, I have one follow up on that is, you know, the the farm had been in the family for so long. What was it in 2014 that made you kind of not switch up strategies but kind of take things to the next level
2: yeah I think <coughs> um, some of the dysfunction that people in the public saw in the beef industry last year w- has been on display for us longer and so that was that was part of it was kind of knowing that I think that, that that you know the way that the incentives work and the way that the, the industry works wasn't really going to um, didn't really inherently allow a lot of opportunity, and so that was that was kind of the first thought of saying, well, you know, let's let's try to go after quality. Let's try to do something that's that you know stands on its own and, and and stands out, and really not knowing where it could go or should go or or needed to go, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think it was. I mean, to be completely honest, it was a bit of frustration of of where things are at. Um, so, gotcha
0: okay well we've done a very good job introducing uh Rick's beef company now we've talked about the history now I want to talk about you guys let's let's get into you a little bit and i you guys met in Seattle um Justin you know you grew up in agriculture you grew up in in Nebraska what took you to <laughs> pursue a corporate career in Seattle
2: yeah I mean it's uh it's kind of funny because i I grew up um kind of with one foot in the farm and one foot out but I didn't really see myself doing it. Um, uh, I kind of hated it, actually. Um, so, but I actually, I, I knew that I, I was generally interested in the space. And so an opportunity came up for me to work within agriculture generally, um, but kind of get a, get a different perspective on it. And so that was, that was kind of cool. The other thing is just being a kid, you know, being in your 20s and just wanting to go do something different. Um, so, you know, we, maybe we all get a little bit of wanderlust, um, but, uh, yeah, it did, did that and, uh, uh, you know, good experience, but I, I think, I don't want to speak for Lindsay, but I think both of us, you know, valued the time w- we spent working for other people and learning, you know, um, how, how you know, good management and, and, and lots of other things. Um, but kind of decided that we were both, you know, wanted to do something on our own at some point. So it was, and, and, you know, and Seattle's great, but, uh, you know, Nebraska's got a lot to offer too.
0: Now, speaking of Seattle, we've got, Lindsay is actually wearing a Seattle Mariners mask right now. Yeah. So she still clearly has <laughs> that, uh, that Seattle pride. Lindsay, how how did you guys meet?
1: We met through a random mutual friend. So I'm from the Washington state area. I guess it, I claim it as home. Um, my dad was air force. So we, Moved around, lived overseas for a few years in Germany uh, when I was was when I was younger. Um, so was raised trying all different types of cuisine. We traveled all over. Um, I have an Italian background, so a lot of our family gatherings were it was always around food. So uh, that's been a big central part of my life. Um, I never realized. I think it was until I got older, how much I really enjoyed it. Um, And I think if I had to do my education all over, I probably would have chosen a different path. Um, But I didn't figure it out until I was late 20s, early 30s, probably. I started out um, in the retail buying world, uh, apparel. Uh, I got caught up in the recession and unfortunately had to make a career change. Uh, That brought me to Amazon, I learned a ton while I was there when we talked about kind of corporate. I definitely, I would say my time there, uh, the mentors that I had set me up to be successful in what I'm doing now to step out on my own. Um, And so then it was around that time when we said, okay, it's it's time to pack up and leave Seattle um, and make the move back. I wasn't finding a fit when I landed here. I was networking, having coffee with everyone just really trying to figure out what to do. And it was at that time when we had already started doing the the cross um, and we had finally had a product to try. I remember that first family dinner when we, we had harvested them and we were sitting down to try it. And I think everyone around the table, we were floored on how good it was. And we said, we need to sell this ourselves. And then naturally, it's who is going to oversee it. You know, I was looking for a job. I had just had um, our first child. And so I, I stepped into, uh, kind of the operations of kind of figuring it out. Um, our cattle manager, Jared and finance manager, Michaela, obviously, uh, stepped in at the forefront to get a lot of it up and going, um, and to kind of spin it off to me. But that's where it kind of, I found this food where it's been part of my life and I was able to change it into my career.
0: We're going to get a lot more into that. And I want to hear a lot more about that story. But you mentioned that first dinner when you're like, when you're trying the cross, I need to hear about that. Like, what did you guys have to eat? Like, what was the feeling in the room? Was it like really apprehensive and everyone was kind of like, I really hope this is good, but we're not (laughs) entirely sure. Like, what was that dinner like?
1: We grilled, it was ribeyes. Yeah, it was ribeyes. And when we had done the harvest, uh, we opted to have it graded. So USDA grading is voluntary. Um, and so we paid to have it graded, and I forget how many head we did.
2: It wasn't very many. It wasn't
1: very many, yeah. but it was a very high percentage of prime, USDA prime. And so we were grilling the uh, prime ribeyes. And, I mean, just the, the buttery flavor, the how tender it was. I mean, it was just – and you, didn't have, you don't have to do much to it, a little salt and pepper. You know, you don't have to douse it with a, a steak rub.
2: I don't remember the sides. I don't, I don't,
1: I actually, I know I was saying, I was trying to remember what, what did we serve with it?
0: When the meat is that good, you don't need to remember the sides. You don't remember. And
1: so then I think we just, you know, I think conversation took off from there, you know, saying let's.
2: Yeah. And I I think too, we had, we had, we have some uh, some family members on the West coast that uh, were, were supportive in this process. And and generally our whole family has been, um, but who were particularly um, maybe a little, uh, disappointed with the quality that they were running into as well and just kind of saying you know hey this is so i think there i think there was a lot of pent-up pent-up excitement to say hey this this you know we really can produce you know something something high quality and and this is this is the experience that you know some other folks in our family had been after uh so yeah it was it was fun
0: so obviously there's a lot of excitement built up at this dinner. You guys taste this and you're like, okay, this this, this is something really good. We've got something special on our hands. How do you kind of bundle all that excitement and just keep from like exploding in all these different directions to kind of focusing it and saying, okay, we need to figure out what – this could look like if we want to go into retail moving forward because I imagine like if something like that happened to me my mind would just uh, like immediately I would be like I can do this with it I can do this with it we can market it this way all this different stuff but you have to like you can't just throw a bunch of stuff out there you have to have a very detailed plan how did you come up with that
1: well it's funny you say detailed plan yeah
2: I, you you should have a
1: detailed
2: <laughs> plan. <laughs> um, we you know it took us a little while I think we had We'd spent maybe the better part of a year just kicking it around and and discussing different ideas. I think initially the ambitions on it were, were very small. And I think, th- I think too, that really, I mean, <clears throat> the beef business or the, the cattle business and the meat business are not, they're very different. They're not the same thing.
0: Um, what are the differences?
2: Well, um, the, you know, on the cattle side, you are... Um, concerned primarily about um genetics and origin and and practices and management and you're concerned with getting the animal to a point of finish and then on the meat side you have uh however many different sub markets there are for every single sub primal cut and so forth and everything else and then you know each each basically each part of the carcass has its own its own um its own story and its own kind of destination so it's. I've, I've used the analogy before. It's a little bit like I've got a friend in Lincoln who's a jeweler, and and I was he was asking me about it. I said, "Well, it'd be kind of be like you buying a diamond mine. Like it's not really, <laughs> not like nominally, it's the same thing, but it's just a whole different set of factors in terms of the how the process works and everything else. But anyway, the the the, the you know the, the process kind of. Evolved slowly. I think we've, you know, kicked around a bunch of different ideas about which ways we could go with it and what we could try to focus on. And, um, yeah. And in hindsight, I would, I would recommend that people create detailed plans. Uh, but, uh, we, we were, you know, probably more inclined just to sort of figure it out. Uh, That's kind of what we've, what what we've done. And, and, you know, there were, there was some planning and there was some, you know, forecasting and there was some, you know, work on costing and so forth. But, um, but really, at the end of the day, we weren't actually 100% sure what the best um, the best way to set it up would be. So we wanted to get in and, and learn. Yeah.
1: Well, and I think then, too, we had um, a building uh, space in downtown Ashland, came available for rents on Silver Street, which is the main downtown district, which doesn't happen often. And so we, at that point, it was November. Mm-hmm. We had to move pretty fast.
2: So, so we just did it.
1: So we just signed the lease, <laughs> and we said, "Okay, we're doing this."
2: All right, we'll figure it out. And,
1: you know, and you you raise cattle, and th- there's a you know optimal time when you need to harvest them. So we know we had these cattle coming up, and so we just kept looking forward and never looked back, and just said, "Okay, we got to figure this out." Um, you know, for me, I you know I had the you know the business uh, background, but I knew nothing about the beef industry, if I, to be completely honest. Um, but I embrace the challenge. I think since landing in Nebraska, the people here that I have met in my network are amazing. Um, you know, down to our processing partners, um, I learned the most I'm on the cutting room floor cause I oversee the harvest of how the carcasses are going to be broke down, what our product mix is going to be. Um, you know, I didn't know the Chuck from the round, uh, But they walked me through it just being on the floor of how it's, you know, recommending um, cuts. Hey, you're not using this. Try doing the Bivette steak. Our Bivette steak has become a really great seller. Um, So, yeah, I think it's just been the people.
0: So you mentioned, you know, you came into this pretty blind when it came to cattle. You're... Okay, I, I, I don't know if I'll call you an expert right now because I don't want to speak out of turn. But to, in my eyes, you are an expert. You know a lot. Like we came into the shop and you were breaking down every cut for us. And we were like, okay, this is awesome. What kind of, and you went into this a little bit, but like what kind of crash course did you put yourself on to ramp yourself up in knowledge so you could start selling these products with a solid knowledge base?
1: Yeah, I think for me, it was, uh, the individuals in my network that we were working with on processing. Um, it was also, you'll find I'm not very far from my meat buyer's guide. It's called the nap. So, uh, in the, in the beef processing world, everything is a nap code and that basically that code is a cut specification. So I have one of those in my work bag at all times. I also keep one at the shop, um, I would study that I'd ask questions I asked a ton of questions um, you know, quality processing does our portion cutting and the you know the gentleman that would be doing our cutting they would slow it down so I could really see how they're separating you know if the chuck roll how they're separating the chuck eye from the underblade um, so I could then mentally say okay that's where that goes on the carcass and so I think it was just that year now I've been doing it for uh, I don't know, I guess five years, mm-hmm. it's just that repetition of being there, learning, asking questions, um, researching on the internet to kind of get my skill set, my knowledge to where it needed to be. Um, and also because you need to, when you're going into harvest, um, you can make some big mistakes that it's tough to bounce back from. Um, and so that really helps me manage our inventory flow.
0: I think what you described is just so interesting because I, I feel like there's this kind of this direct comparison, or at least a parallel with like the restaurant industry, because you know, a lot of the people that I have on here are chefs or, or cooks or something. And, and a lot of them say, it's great to go to culinary school. You like, you learn everything, you learn the skills, but it's when you're actually on the line, when you're working in the restaurant, when you're seeing how things are done, when you're doing it yourself, when you get to ask questions, you get to fail, that's when you really do the learning. So I, I love that you, you you like you put yourself on the cutting room floor. You're not just up in the office reading books and saying, "Okay, this is what a chuck steak is." You're down there learning it and even at times cutting it yourself. Like I think that that's amazing. Um, so from what you guys said, it sounds like you try this cross. You really like it. You decide we can go into retail with this. This is a very good idea. But you didn't really. Know exactly what you wanted to do with it until this property came available, and that was kind of like the okay, this is available. This is like a once in a however many years moment. We have to seize this. Let's go. It, am I reading that right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, no, that's, then
2: we're like, that's basically right. I mean, we, we we needed somewhere to physically locate the business, no matter what you know, no matter what we were going to do. But uh, so that was a little bit of the the justification for it. But uh, beyond that, you know, we said, yeah, we, we think, you know, there's a, a a combination of businesses. There's a combination of ways that people might want to get this or, or come into contact with it. So we'll, you know, we'll, we'll try a couple and see which way it goes.
1: Yeah. And I think our, you know, our very first harvest that was available to sell to customers, we started out pretty basic, you know, Um, and then as I learned more, you know, I said, okay, well, let's try this cut. We're not utilizing, so uh, where we do the bavette steak, it's the loin flap. It's the bottom of the sirloin. That right now is going to trim. It's really good meat. Let's make this steak out of it. So it's trying to get as many cuts and different cuts that customers are not going to see when they go to a grocery store or even some uh, butcher you know, especially butcher shops may not carry these cuts. I'm sure if you asked for it, you could definitely get it. Um, but that's how going with quality. But we also wanted to differentiate ourselves that way on our on our product selection.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it, in addition to you know our story being about our family and our team and everyone we've got involved and everything we, you know, we we've we everything we're doing um, on the production side. You know, Lindsay's really, I mean, she's really. You know, I, I I think she's underselling it a little bit in terms of how much the the cutting floor research and the, uh, the, you know, the cutting floor time and, and just the amount of work she put into it and did a really great job.
1: Yeah. I'd say, so the very, so I submit cut instructions. So um, I won't get into too much detail, but we do the initial harvest of the animal. Um, and so then you break the carcass down into what is called subprimals, the larger pieces of meat. So like your chuck roll, your top butt, which where your top sirloins are going to come from, So that's one set of instructions. Then you have all those subprimals into our portion cutter quality processing. I have to submit another set of instructions of how I want those pieces portion cut. And I remember that the first time I did that spec sheet, cutting sheet, I was probably up until like midnight. It took me three, like three, two, three hours. And I was stressing about it. Did I do it right? Do I have my instructions right? And, you know, now I can, you know, I I do it like in 20 minutes. But um, I remember sitting at the dining room table stressing about this like because you can really mess up your supply of inventory if you do something wrong you know um usually quality is really great about asking questions Lindsay you're sure you want to do that you know um which was which was helpful um but but yeah so I think that was the the biggest part and then also too we have this space now we have to do a build out like what all do we need I guess we need freezers um so we uh not to go off on too much of a tangent, but we harvest three times a year, larger groups versus harvesting a smaller amount, like bi weekly or monthly, like some other folks in the area may do. Um, so everything we sell is is frozen.
2: Yeah, and that and honestly that the you know, some of that was um uh even at that time, uh processing capacity is was an issue. Um so we were having trouble getting um, you, you have this balance of, you know, do you want to um, do, do locker beef or do you want to do something more than that? And then you so then you, you have a dividing line between who you can work with there. And then, and then the other thing is, you know, you get to capacity issues, too. So we just decided that we would we would rather have be able to, to have more capacity to be able to to um, work with more people and, and have some different options uh, and, you know, have the have the ability to have a little bit of scale. But it kind of forced our hand a little bit on, on going fresh versus frozen. So,
1: Yeah.
0: Gotcha. Now, I want to take this opportunity real quick in that if any listener is listening to this and they're just like, this sounds awesome. I need some Rakes beef. We've mentioned the retail store, and we're going to get more into that. But that's in Ashland. Anyone can visit that. Mm-hmm. It's super awesome. There's not only beef products, but you can find all kinds of local things. We're going to get more into that, I promise. But also, if you want to order online, you can order at Rakes, that's R A. I-K-E-S beef.co and there's all kinds of cool like bundles and stuff you guys have some really cool packages on there so I want we'll highlight that again at the end of the episode in case anyone wants to get involved but I wanted to make sure just in case for whatever reason somebody didn't get to the end they know where to get rake's beef okay back to the story you have the idea you have a great product now you have a retail space you got into this a little bit talking about the freezers but like what next How do you you take all of that and combine it into a successful business?
1: Yeah, so I think it was the freezers, you know, the build-out, the look and the feel we wanted of the store. We are on a budget. Um, I kind of – I wanted it to have the look and the feel of, like, a a butcher shop without – because we're not doing the cutting right there. And so that's where, you know, the chalkboard, you know, the the different uh, colors of wood. We have some butcher knives, um, antique butcher knives hanging on the wall. Uh, so started there, you know, then started building out our social media to kind of get the hype of, you know, grand opening. Um, also we knew we needed to have a website, um, but was really focused on getting the brick and mortar up and going. So we just kind of threw together a very generic, basic website. Like if you had seen our website, um, several years ago versus what it is now. It's kind of had several iterations to make it what it is today. Um, But it's just like, I think all those little pieces, I think there was a lot of one note, you know, of kind of keeping ourselves Hmm. organized of what we needed, you know, to to do to get the doors open. And then once we open the doors, our people are going to come, you know. But it was already – there was buzz around town that someone had rented the space in the talk small town, Nebraska – What's going to be there? Is it going to be a restaurant? Is it going to, you know, um, people knew th- the Rakes family had rented it and, you know, been in Nashville for quite some time. And so we had generated a little bit of uh, hype there um, and then did a grand opening special. Grand opening weekend was, we did it, it was Mother's Day weekend, wasn't it? That sounds right. Yeah. yeah, it was Mother's Day weekend. And so us as a family, Justin, our little guy Crosby, we, cause we're like, well, we can't first weekend open. We can't close on Mother's Day, you know? And so we opened and the three of us worked to the shop and we've kind of taken it from there. S- uh, social media has been a huge part of my marketing strategy, being small and kind of my grassroots marketing. Mm-hmm. Word of mouth has been huge.
0: Now, I imagine that first weekend, there's some of that excitement. Like you, you guys have been thinking about this for years. This has been a plan. You know, the product is great. Like you're so excited to just unleash this to the masses but this is also something entirely new. I'm sure there's a lot of like anxiety that comes with it where it's like what if people, you know, don't understand or they don't, you know, they don't want to pay, you know, for a higher quality beef or something like that. What was that first day like when you opened? Like what were the emotions? What was the initial response? Just take me back to that moment.
1: I think it was pretty exciting seeing like all the foot traffic come in the door. Conversations with people. We would get questions about price point why we're priced where we are but once you explain we are truly farm to table it's American Wagyu so it's it's a premium product no added hormones just the process of raising the animal it's definitely different than your grocery store beef most customers got that and even now today we don't get very much feedback or complaints around around that but I just think People we knew, um, a lot of friends, family came out to support us. Mm-hmm. Um, just the community in general really showed up. You know, we had people come from Omaha and Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like, okay, I, th- I think we're we're going to be able to do this. You know, we can make this a disaster. Yeah, I mean, it, it was
2: it is really gratifying to see the the turnout of support, and then also that you know that people were um, taking product home and, and liking it. I mean that's that's the biggest thing yes. is you know um that that at the end of the day uh you've got a great eating experience and you're happy with it.
0: Was there any point where that anxiety started to fade a little bit, and you guys I'm sure there's no one ever feels totally comfortable, but like was there a point where you started to feel more comfortable or was like, okay, this is more than just a concept, this is more just than just like our idea, this is more just our baby like it's it's working we know that this is a viable business when when did that feeling come
1: i mean i think it was up and you know kind of up and down like okay we're we're doing pretty good but then it's just i think for me it was staying focused on continuing to need to get the word out i mean you know we f- it'll be 4 years this coming may that the shop has been open um and i
2: well, I, I was going to say too. I mean, every, every time we bring on a new new partner, whether it's a retail partner or a restaurant or something like that, you know, it's that's that's always gratifying on, on, in that regard. I mean, it's it's uh, you know, it's 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 been a long road, but I think we, I mean, and especially too after, you know, I mean, unfortunately, you know, COVID really highlighted this whole thing, and um, as as we've grown and as we've we continue to get you know, repeat satisfied customers, Um, you know, that, that's just, and that's been a, that's been an ongoing process. And, and, and um, I think, you know, for me, I, Lindsay, you should chime in, but I, I think for me it was um, when we, we, we started to get a critical mass on sales. I think, I think in 2019 was when we really started to feel like, you know, okay, our critical mass is coming together. Um, People are, people are seeking us out. It's not just sort of this. Hey, novelty. Well, what what is this thing? What's it doing here? Why is it in this town? What's going on?
0: <laughs> and the right. store was open in 2017. I right. should I yep. should have mentioned yeah. that yeah. earlier. Yeah. yeah. So it took about two years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah,
1: two years, and so that's what I say. My, ex- of, you know, it, it kind of would ebb and flow, but I I couldn't let. I had to stay focused on continuing to build. Um, but then as I saw, okay, there was room to still get the word out just locally because I had to do it locally, but I also had to do it nationally for website um, that we're still acquiring, you know, new customers and then COVID hit and like, gosh, what is that going to do to us? You know, for us, I think at that point we were, when there would be media articles about beef shortages, I would text our shop manager fan, get ready for it because our online and shop would just blow up because people would be panic buying um, but also I think they wanted to, they wanted to support smaller businesses. They wanted to support their yeah. farmers, which we were so thankful for. And we've retained a lot of those customers and we still continue to get new customers through word of mouth. I think the greatest thing for me is I can be having a conversation with a friend of a friend and they say, Oh, I heard about Rakesby through, you know, my trainer or, and so that's when I'm like, gosh, okay, people are talking about us. They like it. Um, and so that's where I kind of do my little happy dance, also when the orders ding on my phone, you know. <laughs> um, I think there's a period in March last year where, you know, Q4 is – holiday is always really big for shipping for us. But I was, you know, shipping 10 times the amount of boxes in March – than the previous year you know because I, I i do all the shipping on monday so i'm kind of getting a f- more efficient of how many boxes i can do at once before i have to call and help um so it was it was that i think people saying we want to support we want to support a small business we want to support a, a farmer so they we get a ton of phone calls and and that was really great mm-hmm.
0: so obviously covid is just a terrible thing we're not trying to paint that in any other way and I'm sure that in some ways you guys' business was very hurt by it as well but it also from what you guys are saying it kind of created an opportunity and that not only was there the beef shortage and people had to look for alternative options but they wanted to support local and I think there's something about like and I can speak to this personally like after I had the the rakes beef burger the other night I don't want to go back to hy V and just buy, you know, the burger that I can get. Nothing against Hy-Vee, but it's not the same quality. Like, the the chance that I'm going to come back to Ashland or go on you guys' website and get something again is so much higher. So, like, I, I, again, not trying to say COVID was good in any way, but did you guys kind of sense an opportunity and find a way to capitalize on that?
1: I think we made the best of the situation. Right. Um, That's and a better I think way to put it. it. Best of the situation where I think a lot, especially, I mean, restaurants are probably the best example, right? They had to everything that they've ever known they had a pivot to a new model and so not that we had a pivot to a new model we just said okay what can we do to make best of the situation so if it was people not wanting to come in the store call you know pay ahead we'll bring it out bring it out to you um
2: yeah I, I think I mean the the if there was anything positive that came out of it it would it would be that that attention got placed on this this whole area right of where your food comes from and you know how secure the supply is and how stable it is because um, yeah i mean obviously we you know it's terrible for the restaurant industry i mean we, we we are we got friends in that in that business as well and, and it was horrible and um we we just looked at it and said well you know this is this is what people need there was uh you know a lot of price gouging going on too i mean i know the uh the the you know, the cost structure and the entire value chain was definitely going way up. And we saw that on the farm side because we got, you know, as you said, we got got a pretty healthy uh, kick in the face on that on that side. But, um, you know, there was there was a lot of just it was. Just, yeah, it was just kind of crazy. And there was a lot of price gouging. And we just said, all right, well, you know, as Lindsay was saying, you know, we do whatever people need to do to get to get them you know, comfortable with it and are uh, uh, comfortable with with working with us. And we're not going to raise prices. Um, you know, we're not going to participate in this. I think this is just an opportunity for people to get to know us. And, and, uh, so yeah.
1: Cause we got a lot of questions about that. Are you guys going to raise your prices? Because, you know, the prices in the grocery store are going up significantly. And that's where, when you know where your food comes from, where you're buying from a local source, it goes back to, we truly breed and raise what we sell. So that didn't impact us as much, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, it could have impacted us at the processing, but we were still able to get our spots to harvest because we, we had a harvest rate right in the middle of that. And so I was really scared that that was going to get pulled, like saying, hey, no, we can't do this. Um, but our processor for portion cutting got us in. And so that's one benefit when you are going and supporting your local farmer and buying from them. You're not buying that commodity beef where it's going to be really at the mercy of what the market is doing. And so that's where we said, we don't need to raise our prices. I said, unless we get an increase from our processor that we just can't absorb, where it dra- directly impacts us, that's when we'll do it. But we're not going to do it just because could we've gotten away with it? Absolutely. But it's not the right thing to do.
0: Now, I love how many times you guys have mentioned just like supporting local and introducing people to local products. And I think that's something that the retail store does so well because it's not just rakes beef in there there's uh plum creek farms chicken yeah. there's buffalo from central nebraska buffalo there's all kinds of different cheeses and jams and just all kinds of different stuff there's coffee from Meta Coffee lab in lincoln which my wife and i absolutely love uh h- how did you guys kind of come up with you know establishing these relationships and that we're not just going to sell our stuff in our store, but we're going to try and highlight these other places too, even places that I know they're not your competition, but some people might say, you know, that that's your competition. Like if somebody's having chicken for dinner, they're not having beef. Like how did you establish those relationships?
1: I think it started with, you know, as being focused on how do I continue to grow the business? You know, kind of like, we don't have to carry just our stuff. Um, If we look where we're located in small town Ashland, there's, not as many services, um, grocery available. So we said, let's start sourcing in other high quality product from our local farmers, or farmers, or small businesses, um, that kind of have the same narrative as, as us. Um, and so that's where we started with plum Creek. Um, Dean and Logan are great to work with. Likewise, they carry rakes beef in their uh, shop. Um, gotten to know uh, Kendra and so wanting to carry let's let's offer bison like I guess yeah you're right some people can say hey they're competitors but it's no we're all helping helping the small person out because we can all succeed
2: well the other common denominator is it's all stuff we want to buy I mean it's all these are all thing products we like you know we don't We don't carry stuff that we don't.
0: You can put your stamp on it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I personally,
1: I personally grocery shop at (laughs) Rick's Beef, you know, Um, I, 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 I'm going to go pick up our, um, uh, we just had another batch of hot dogs and beef sticks and I'll drop that off at the shop. And I told Faye I have all these, these things I need to stock the house with, but so yeah, it's, it's high quality. So doing milk, doing fresh eggs. Um, being from Washington State, I'm slowly sneaking some Washington State items into the Midwest um, with with uh, some of the cow's milk cheese that we carry. But I want to, you know, rake's beef, but specialty foods, specialty pantry, where you can come and get your burgers, you can get your bun, you can get some lettuce, you can grab it all. Uh,
0: something I love that about you guys' website is that You know, obviously, you know, you can take a rake steak and just grill it as is. And it's, it's fantastic. But, you know, people just don't usually want to have steak all the time. You want to mix it up. You want to have some different things. And you guys' website has all kinds of recipes, like pages and pages of recipes. I don't even know how many were on there, but like I, I was going through it last night and getting extremely hungry just to name a few. Guinness beef stew. There's a brisket chili on there philly cheesesteak meatballs which just looked incredible so i just want to kind of open it up to you guys like what are your favorite things that you've made or like things that you would recommend to people to use your products to make like mm-hmm. anything that like stands out where it's just like that was phenomenal yeah.
1: so all those recipes are either fain or myself it's usually our dinner that's what you see on social media can't eat it until I, until I take pictures of it. I don't yeah, know. What's that, your is fa-
2: a, that is a hundred percent. true. My
0: wife knows that struggle. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, I don't know what, I guess what's your favorite. Oh man, I,
2: there's so many. Um, we, uh, we'll, we'll power through Swedish meatballs. We'll power through really any kind of meatball. I think we, we power through, uh, lately we've been eating a lot of, uh, just, you know, anything with a Denver in it. Uh, yeah.
1: So the Denver is a, not to cut you off. So the Denver is a newer cut that I started this last year. I wanted to do a breakfast steak. And so I was looking, I was like, hey, what are we not utilizing? Typically breakfast steaks come from the round, but the round needs to be marinated. You're not going to marinate a breakfast steak. So then I came across in my meat buyer's guide, the Denver steak Um, comes from the chuck. It's beautifully marbled. So you can just throw that on the grill, pan sear it, um, and so we do four-ounce uh, four steaks of those. That's become a really great seller, um, not just for a breakfast steak. Uh, we call them, mark them as kid steaks. Um, I like to slice them up, and I put them on pizzas. Oh, that's what I'll do, like, Philly cheesesteak pizza with. It's, like, a super versatile steak. Um, so that's, we do a lot of those.
2: That's a good one. And then we, we also love Korean food. So we, we, will, uh, we will do, you know, uh, we've done short ribs, I'll uh, do bibimbap, um, and we do you know, any kind of bulgogi, um, yeah. any any combination thereof.
1: We even have this special um, stone bowl that the bibimbap goes in to get the crispy rice, because, I mean, it's not bibimbap if you don't have that crispy rice. But um, so we just experiment. And then Fain and I, a lot of the time when I'm in the shop, her and I will do um, lunches together, and it'll be something that maybe we had to damage out because there's a cut in it. So then we thaw that out and we create something for our lunch. Um, So that's been really fun.
0: So people, again, rakesbeef.co, there are all kinds of awesome recipes on there. If you have zero cooking ability, like me, my wife and I discovered last night, we had one leftover burger, chopped it up, put it in a quesadilla. It was super simple, like no cooking whatsoever required, and it was delicious. So even if, like, all this stuff sounds great, if you're not, if you don't trust yourself enough in the kitchen to be able to make bibimbap, make a quesadilla. Anyone can make a quesadilla, and it can still be delicious when you start with just such a good uh, quality product. Um, a couple more questions I have for you here. I know that you guys have done some some kind of specials with, with some restaurants. Like, I know you've uh, you've done some stuff with muchachos down mm-hmm. in Lincoln. Um, you had a special, I think, a pop-up that you did in... Um, in collaboration with Ryan Cooper and Nice Rolls. Are there any restaurants that you guys are currently working with that you want to highlight, or is that something that you haven't really gotten into that much?
1: We haven't. We're pretty selective with the restaurants we work with. Nick, who owns Muchacho's, is, is great. Uh, he likes the brisket.
0: He's amazing. Um,
1: and we it's actually not local to hear one restaurant that has supported us since the beginning is actually a a luxury resort in Washington state off of hood canal. Um, but you know, it's, I don't know. It's, it's something that we, Yeah.
2: so uh, we, we, uh, I, I would add, uh, we actually COVID kind of spoiled. Uh, we were, we were starting to work with, um, TJ around the bend, uh, to do kind of a limited, a limited thing. And we've had some good conversations with with some other folks uh, here locally as well. I think, you know, what we, what we like to do is, uh, is try to find, uh, you know, a special period of time or, you know, some sort of more limited offering um, to, you know, help give a chef maybe something a little bit different or, you know, something kind of unique they can point to for some period of time. And then, and then, you know, to kind of, for us to, to, to introduce with it as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, we, we've had, um, you know, as you mentioned, a couple, couple of good folks we work with on a one-off basis. And so I think, you know, it's, it's, we're going to continue to do that. I mean, we, we want to keep finding folks on a one-off basis restaurant for us. wasn't really a core focus of what we were trying to do, um, because we like to cook and, and, you know, we want people to have good experiences at home, um you know that's that's been a lot of our focus but that said you know we i mean we're, we ha- we 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 eat at all of these places too yeah. so <laughs> yeah there's all these so i think we like to
1: where maybe there's it's a fit for a restaurant and it's a fit for for us um and so i think yeah covid kind of did put the damper on that but now yeah. we'll start to relook at that but one area that's been really great for us is um is schools institutions uh and so uh Gretna public schools have, has been a great supporter of us we're going into our second year for Nebraska Thursdays they highlight and use rake's ground beef on on their um lunch menu and the the food director there she does some really great school lunches I was like gosh I wish I had tachos when I was in the, in school you know like, but um so yeah, it's yeah where
0: were you guys when we were getting like the square piece of cheese pizza yeah. back in the right, 90s right. <laughs> like, right. I could to use some rake's beef back then. yeah
1: um <laughs> So more to come on that. I'm always looking for, I'm always looking for opportunities or chefs that do want something that's truly farm to table, 100% Nebraska raised. Um, reach out to me.
0: Awesome restaurants, reach out to Rake's Beef. You, this is a very good product. You will like it. Uh, I have one last question be, um, for you guys before we kind of highlight where people can get Rake's Beef. We'll do that before we get out of here. But. I think something that I really want to ask you guys is, obviously this is, the Rakes Farm goes back over a century. This is something that has been in your family, Justin, for generations, I think you're the fifth generation. Mm-hmm. Just how special is it to you, Justin, and to you, Lindsay, too, now becoming a part of this family, taking this this tradition, this thing that has been you know so strong for so long and like bringing it to the masses in a way that it just wasn't available before.
2: Uh, Yeah. I mean, that's why we're doing it. Honestly, it's, uh, you know, we get it, we get a ton of, uh, we get a ton of meaning out of, out of both, you know, trying to point the farm in a new direction and the fact that we can do that with, with great products. Um, so, and, and, you know, and have people have great experiences with them and that's, it's hugely rewarding. It's why we do what we do. I mean, we, um, you know, both gave up a couple other careers and a lot of other, other opportunities to come do this. And uh, we're, it's not for the money. (laughs) Uh, It's definitely not for the money, but, uh, but, you know, that being a part of that process and, and, you know, having the interactions with customers who had, you know, great experiences and, and meeting other folks doing the same thing also is, is, is a huge part of it. And, and, and I will add to that too, working with, working with folks on the restaurant side who, you know, are really passionate about what they're doing and, and, and trying to get, you know, get, get a great product out. So yeah, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, that's, that's why we do it.
1: I would say when we, when you have a win, it like really gets you, you know, like, this is why I'm doing it. It, it makes, you know, those periods where you just want to kind of hide in the corner, say, this is why I'm doing it. I get up in the morning. Um, It's for you. It's something that you did, that the team did, that we did, and we continue to strive for. Um, It's incredibly rewarding. I, I I don't feel like I I work. Um, I truly love what I, what I do.
0: That's tremendous. Well, thank you both guys for all your hard work and the sacrifices that you have made. So now let's, we kind of teased this before, but let's let people know where they can get rakes beef. Um, we mentioned the retail store in Ashland. I guess it depends on where you're coming from in Omaha. Most of my listeners are in Omaha. It's about a half an hour drive. It's something that you can just go in a morning. Like my wife and I went on a Saturday morning, it didn't take up that much time at all. It was very easy, and it was super worth it. Like, it was fun. We got to, like, go down, up and down the street. It's a fun experience. Uh, there's also rakesbeef.co, like we talked about. I know you guys, um, your products are in Helping You Barbecue. You mentioned earlier uh, Plum Creek Farms, their market. Is there anywhere else that we can highlight where people can, can get rakes beef?
1: Those are the main. Helping You Barbecue uh, has been great. Ron and John have been, you know, huge supporters of ours, and, and now Logan and Dean but, yeah, those are, I'd say, the four, the four places. And if you want to come to Ashland, you know, there's so much to do. You can make a little day trip out of it or not even a day trip. But you can spend a couple hours, go out to the wildlife safari, check out the other restaurants in town, go across the street to Glacial Till and, and have a drink, have some nibbles. They use um, some of our uh, beef on their on their uh, food menu. So,
0: All right. Well, guys, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the podcast today, for, for coming in from Ashland and just for for sharing the story and for sharing some delicious food. Um, thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks for the time.
0: Thank you. And as always, Omaha, thanks for eating with us.
2: A at Media Production.